Happy Easter. <laughs> Christ is risen. Hello, everybody. It's so great to see you. Some new faces that I haven't seen before. Welcome. Hi to those of you tuning in online. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Melissa, and I am the lead pastor here. It was the summer of 2020. We were four months into the pandemic, and my husband, Jay, he's the guy who came out and welcomed you. He and I were living in Vancouver. We were pastoring at a church there, but we knew that God was leading us to something new. Actually, to be more specific, we knew that God was leading me to something new. Uh, God was leading me to do something like this, but the church we were at already had a lead pastor. So we started to wonder, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Who's hiring two pastors in the middle of a pandemic? And will there be any churches that will hire a female as the lead pastor? So we began to tentatively put out our resumes and apply for jobs, but in all honesty, we were applying to jobs very close to home. Uh, looked pretty promising. There's one church that had two positions, and it was so close to home, we wouldn't have even had to have moved. But we had this niggling feeling in our guts that God had something different for us. Then we got a text from my friend Nathan. And Nathan said, I'm doing this interim pastoring, this consulting for this church in a small city in the middle of Canada, and I think you guys would be really good for this church. I think you'd be really well suited to it. We've seen your resumes. We think it would be a good fit. And our first reaction was, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> it's a little bit far from home. But Nathan called us and said, just come and see. No strings attached. Come and see. I think when you get here, you're going to like what you see. And so three weeks later, Jay and I and our two daughters were boarding a plane, flying to Thunder Bay. If we had not come to see for ourselves, we would not have known that our love for skiing in the winter, for trail running in the summer, for swimming in lakes could be more fully realized here than anywhere else we'd ever lived. Without seeing this place, I wouldn't have believed that I could be so okay with moving as far away from the ocean that I've ever been in my entire life because, let's be honest, Lake Superior is kind of like a giant inland ocean, isn't it? Without seeing this place, I never would have believed that I would encounter what Jay and I keep describing as literally the nicest people we have ever met in our entire life. And without seeing this place, we never would have realized that God had been preparing us for this church and this ministry for a very long time, and it was clear he was calling us here. Come and see. But once we came and saw and we are back at home in our living room in Vancouver, God had a new directive for us. Go and tell. Go to Thunder Bay and tell everybody you meet the good news of the resurrected Jesus. Today is Easter Sunday, and in the story of Matthew, the resurrection story in Matthew, we see this pattern, come and see, go and tell, over and over and over again. We're gonna read the story today. Part of this passage is what was read uh, as the service opened up, thanks to one of our 12-year-olds in our community, Anna. Anna, thank you for reading the opening passage for us today. Uh, I'm going to read it again. And as I do, I want you to pay attention to that come and see, go and tell. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn, 
On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Greetings, which is the equivalent of hi. So Jesus comes and he says, hi. Hi, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I'm going to pause for a moment. Now, this is going to be the most obvious come and see, go and tell in the whole story. But it's very clearly there. The women have gone to see Jesus, but the crucified Jesus. And when they get there, this angel shows up that looks like lightning, dressed in clothing as white as snow, which we can imagine because of the snow outside. And he says, come and see. Come and see the empty tomb where Jesus lay and go and tell the disciples all about it. And then when they meet, when they meet Jesus on the way, Jesus reiterates, go and tell the disciples and tell them to come and see me now. But those Marys were not the only ones that saw something that day. The guard saw something too. So let's go to verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Now, they said this because if the governor found out they were sleeping on the job, they really would get in trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to, the, to this very day. Now I'm going to pause one more time. Now this come and see, go and tell isn't as obvious. The guards didn't necessarily come to see Jesus. They just happened to be there and they saw the evidence. But they've seen something supernatural. So they go to the priests, either looking for an explanation for what they saw or to warn them. But those priests do not want the story to go any further, so they pay them off. They give them some money, and they tell them to circulate a false story. Go and tell, but not the truth. Meanwhile, the Marys have done their job. They have gone to tell the disciples to come and see Jesus in Galilee. And the disciples must have listened, because we pick up then in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, in all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we go any further. Jesus, you are alive. And you've invited us to come and see you. And so I pray today that you would open our eyes that we really would see. But you have so much more for us. You invite us to go and tell as well. So I pray, Lord, that you would not only open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, but also our mouths. That we would understand what it is you have for us today, your, your church, and what is the message you're asking us to carry into the world. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come and see. The Marys and the disciples were given this invitation to come and see. And we are given this invitation too. Now, I've always had pretty good eyesight, at least from a distance. I've always been told by my eye doctors that I have healthy eyes and I've got better than 20-20 vision, but something happens after about the age of 40. When I turned 40, uh, actually like two months after I turned 40, I noticed that when I was reading, I was holding books really close to my face. And my kids were telling me that when I was reading, they could see the wrinkles around my eyes, but it's because I was squinting. And at the end of the day, I had a headache. And sure enough, I went to the optometrist, and the optometrist told me that while I could see well far away, I now needed reading glasses. As soon as I put the glasses on, everything became clear. I realized how bad my eyes had gotten. The words on the page were crisp. I was no longer squinting. Uh, my headaches were gone at the end of the day. I had been given new eyes to see. Now I have these glasses, and these are actually bifocals, so I, in theory, could wear them all the time, and I should be wearing them when I preach because I can see the notes better, and I do have notes before me every week, but I choose not to wear them, and I say things like, ah, you know, the lights kind of bother my glasses, or like if I have to put them on and take them off, it's going to hook on my microphone, but if I'm being honest, it's for vanity reasons. So I'm just going to put these away. <laughs> In our story today, we have three groups of people. Oh, and look at that, my glasses did. <laughs> there you go. In our story today, we have three groups of people, and they all see something amazing. The two Marys, the guards, and the disciples, but they all react in different ways. What are they going to do? Are they going to allow this new way of seeing to take hold? Like putting on new glasses where everything suddenly is in focus and is clear and it changes the direction of their life? Or do they reject what they have seen? They deny the miracle, like taking off the glasses and choosing to live in blindness. The first group that sees something are the Marys. Now, these are the women who have been with Jesus all along. These are the women that stayed with Jesus when he was on trial. They were there when he hung on the cross. They were there when he took his last breath. And they are still there going to see the crucified Jesus at the tomb. But they see something new, something they weren't expecting. The earth shakes, an angel shows up, looking like lightning. I can't even imagine what that would look like. Dressed in clothes as white as snow, rolls the stone away and says to them, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. In other words, you thought you were coming to see the crucified Jesus. Let me show you the risen one. Come and see. 
Some of us are here today, and we are like the Marys. We have come looking for Jesus, and we've been looking after him or looking for him for a while. And I wonder if Jesus has the same invitation for you today, if that's you. Come and see. I've got something even better for you. Just like we heard in that video today, Marguerite at the end said, I am a different person now than I was a year ago. I wonder if there's an invitation for you to come and see, and next Easter, you will be a different person than you are now. Because Jesus always leads us into deeper friendship, greater healing, and a fuller life. Come and see. The second group of people who have come to see Jesus, or who see Jesus that day, or the evidence of the resurrection, are the soldiers guarding the tomb. Now, they're only there because this is their job. They didn't come of their own accord. They just happened to be in the right place at the right time to witness the most profound, life-changing event in all of human history. And what did they do? Verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. To me, this is a very realistic uh, response that they're having. To me, this makes the story that much more real. Uh, when Jay and I were first married, we lived in this urban area in Calgary. I had never lived in a city before. I'd always lived in small towns. And in our small towns, we never locked our doors during the day. Uh, we never looked out the peephole before we opened the door to see who was there. Uh, in fact, I didn't even remember having a peephole in our door until we moved to Calgary. So Jay was always worried about me, especially when he was out and I was home alone. So whenever he left, he would always say, Melissa, don't forget to lock the door behind me. Lock the door behind yourself and make sure you look out the peephole before you open the door if someone knocks. And I'd always say, yeah, 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 I got it, Jay, don't worry about it. So one morning, he uh, left, Jay left for work before I left for work, and he waited about five minutes, and five minutes later, the door knocks, and I'm going to get the door, and before I can even get there, the door flies open, because of course it is unlocked, and somebody comes in, yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs, lunging towards me, and I start screaming, and then I fall on the floor, crying in the fetal position. And then I look up, and I see that it's Jay. <laughs> he decided to teach me a lesson. Now, would I recommend teaching a lesson to your brand new spouse like this? No. If you're a newlywed, do not do this. However, I did learn something about myself. If a bad guy really was trying to break in, I would not be able to save myself. <laughs> now, those guards, bless their hearts, they are doing exactly what I probably would have done if I had been there. Now, just imagine this. Imagine you are at a cemetery, and you're at a grave, and somebody shows up looking like lightning. I, I can't even imagine what that looks like. I don't know if you can, but it's so out of the realm of possibility. I, it, I have no picture in my head. Dressed in clothes white as snow, Suddenly, they open up the grave in front of you, and you see evidence that who you thought was there is no longer there. They have risen from the dead. I think those guards' reaction is totally believable. What would you do? I think, well, I know I would do the same thing. Now, some of us are here because it's Easter, and we're like the guards. Maybe we got dragged here by a friend or a family member, or maybe we're here because we come once a year and it's part of our Easter tradition, but we're not expecting to see anything miraculous. We're not expecting our lives to be changed somehow. But Jesus still says, come and see. 
come and see. I have something for you. Something that might surprise you, but it's going to change the trajectory of your life once you get over the shock of it. The third group of people that are invited to come and see are the disciples. The disciples, though, before they go and see Jesus in Galilee, are going to have to get over a couple of things before they actually go. The first is this. They're going to have to get over who the messengers are. The messengers being the two Marys. In Jesus' time, a woman's voice meant nothing. Women were not allowed to speak in the temple. They certainly were not allowed to teach men. So how could these women be trusted? How could they listen to these women proclaiming that Jesus is alive in fulfillment of their scriptures? And in Jesus' time, women were also not allowed to testify in court. Their voices counted as nothing. So how could this, these women's testimony be trusted as true? Nevertheless, Jesus appears to these women first, and he commissions them, and they are the very, very first people to preach that Jesus is alive. Jesus said that something like this would happen when he was alive before. He said that when his kingdom comes, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Well, these women are considered the least in society, yet Jesus chose them to be the first to see and the first to preach. It's because of these women in their footsteps that I am standing here today also preaching that Jesus is alive, proclaiming the risen Christ. Now, the disciples get over that, but there's something else that they're going to have to overcome. You see, those disciples did not stay with Jesus until the end. They all abandoned Jesus when Jesus was arrested, when he was on trial, when he was crucified, when he died, none of them came to the tomb. They're hiding away. I imagine that they're filled with shame. Yet Jesus says, come and see. They probably had a mix of excitement. Could this be true? And a mix of doubt. Could this be true? and a mix of fear. If this is true, what is Jesus going to say when he sees me after I abandoned him, disowned him, betrayed him? Some of us are here today, and we're a little bit like these disciples. Maybe it's our first time back. Uh, maybe it's the first time we've been in church in a long time. Maybe you've been here, but something has already happened inside of you. Maybe you're tuning in online. And you know that you have abandoned or disowned or betrayed Jesus in some way. Maybe you, like the disciples, when the going got tough, you cut and ran. Maybe you were unwilling to follow him to the cross. Well, Jesus still says, come and see. Come and see the crucified Jesus, who through his resurrection has conquered death. Come and see King Jesus, who shows us that in his kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. The Jesus who gives value and dignity and worth to those in our society who are the least. Come and see the merciful, loving, gracious Jesus who through his cross forgives us and even more than that, brings us back into friendship with him. Come and see. I love in the story today this, these little details that are sprinkled in that to me make it more valid, more believable is true. There's this mix 
of emotion when people come and see Jesus. The Marys, we're told, are filled with joy and fear at the same time. I mean, that's totally realistic. I would be fearful too if my dead friend was suddenly appearing before me. Joy and fear. They worship him with this mixture of joy and fear. And Jesus still accepts their worship and tells them still to go and tell. And the disciples, we are told, are worshiping Jesus too, but some of them still doubted. This mixture of worship and doubt at the same time. But Jesus still accepts their worship and still tells them to go and tell. If you're sitting here today and you have that same mixture, joy and hope and anticipation and doubt and fear, Jesus is still saying, come and see, worship me, and also go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell sounds a little bit like show and tell, doesn't it? Who remembers show and tell from kindergarten? I have this friend who is a kindergarten teacher, and the way that show and tell would work in her classroom is the kids would bring this object from home, they'd have to put it inside a bag that nobody could see in, and they would have to give a series of clues, and then the kids would have to guess what's in the bag before they would reveal it. So she told me this story about this one little boy. He came and he was so excited, he had his little bag in front of him, and he got up in front of the class, and he started giving his clues. Starts with an N. It belongs to my mom. It's really pretty. And when nobody could guess what it is, he reached in, pulled the object out of his hand with gusto, and says, it's my mom's nighty. Except it wasn't a nighty for sleeping. <laughs> my friend said that this was the most beautiful thing she had ever seen because the kids all were ooing and aahing and clapping at how beautiful this object was. And she said the beautiful thing is that this little boy loved his mom. He thought she was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen, so he went into her room to find the most beautiful thing in her room to represent to the class how beautiful his mother was. When we love somebody, or when we are so loved by somebody, we can't help it. We want to go and tell the entire world all about it. All three groups in our story who have seen the risen Jesus, or at least evidence of his resu resurrection, go and tell, but not all going and telling is the same. So those guards go and tell the priests what happened. And the priests do not want this story to get any further. You see, the priests were the ones who are behind Jesus' arrest. They're the ones who convinced the crowds to shout, crucify him. They are the ones who either lied about Jesus or twisted the story so that his words did not seem real or true. If Jesus really has risen from the dead, these priests are in trouble. They're going to be seen for their manipulation. They're going to be seen as liars or they're going to be seen as wrong. Either way, they will lose the trust of the people and surely those people are no longer going to follow them. They would rather follow a resurrected king who has just conquered death. And so those priests, to protect their reputation and their power, impose what is essentially a non-disclosure agreement, a legal agreement where money is given in exchange for silence. They need to control the narrative. Take this hush money and suppress the truth. And those poor guards, they take the bribe. And again, my heart goes out to them. 
These guards were not in a position of power. They had no choice. If they did not take the money, if they did not go and tell a false story, the story would be circulated anyway. And when the story was circulated anyway, if they weren't in on the story, they would lose their reputations. Because the story was that they fell asleep on the job, they would probably be arrested. And they could even end up being put to death themselves. To tell the truth was going to be very costly for them. So they take the money. And they go and tell, but not the truth. Isn't it so interesting that at the same moment, maybe in the same hours where the Marys are proclaiming that Jesus is alive for the very first time, there is already a plot underway to suppress the truth. But the false story doesn't really take hold. The true story does because of what the disciples do when they are told to go and tell. The disciples, after worshiping Jesus, are told, go and tell everybody. Tell them what you saw. Go out, not just in Judea, but go out into the entire world. Go and invite more people to be my disciples. Go and baptize people, initiating them into the faith. Go and teach people everything I commanded you, helping them to grow in their faith, and they too will go and tell. And guess what, Jesus says, you are not going alone. Even though Jesus is going to ascend to heaven where he is seated now at the right hand of the Father, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to be with his church, to be with us as we go and tell. This is the story that takes hold. And we know this. Because 2,000 years later, there are approximately 2.4 billion people in the world right now who call themselves Christians. We know this because we are celebrating Easter right now at Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada, halfway around the world from Galilee. Come and see, go and tell. Like that little boy at Show and Tell, who loved his mom so much and knew he was loved so much. When our lives are transformed by Jesus, when we have come to see his goodness, when we know that we have been forgiven no matter what we have done, when we are transformed and made more whole, we can't help it. We're going to go and tell. It's too good to keep to ourselves. And so I ask you today, where do you find yourself in the story? Where do you find yourself in the story today? Is Jesus extending an invitation to you to come and see? If this is you, I invite you, come back next week and come and see more. We're going to start a brand new sermon series next Sunday where we're going to begin unpacking why and how Jesus is the good news for the entire created order, the heavens and the earth and everything in between, and why this good news is the answer to everything that is wrong in the world. This good news that God has called me as a pastor to go and tell, and this good news that he has commissioned and called all of you to go and tell as well. Maybe that is your invitation today. Go and tell. This could simply mean, even if you have fear and doubt mixed in with your excitement and hope and anticipation, that you prayerfully ask Jesus, where do I go? Who do I tell? And you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to the people or the place where God has already been working, 
preparing people to hear and receive the message. And then you trust that the Holy Spirit is going to open up the conversation. And when the conversation opens up, you also trust that he's going to give you the words and all you have to do is go and tell what happened when you came to see Jesus. And then invite them to come and see him as well. As you ponder this invitation today, come and see, go and tell, I invite you to respond with me. Let's respond in prayer. And then after that, just like the disciples and the Marys, we're going to join in with the worship team and worship, even if our joy is mixed with doubt and fear. Let's pray. Jesus, we receive your invitation to come and see. After all, we're here. We're here even amidst our fear and our doubt. And even if some of us are not expecting to see much. Jesus, reveal yourself to us. Open our eyes. We are looking. And Jesus, some of us are here, and you are inviting us to go and tell. Fill us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit now. Lead us to the people who are ready to hear the amazing story about what you have done in our lives and the amazing Easter story that changed the world. Give us courage, compassion, grace and truth, and most of all, give us love. And may your word, the word of your resurrection, and all that that means for us and for the world spread in our city. And may lives be transformed. And we pray all these things, Jesus, in your holy, matchless name. Amen.